Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. It was early in his evangelistic ministry. He was in a small town in South Carolina to preach a revival, and he needed to mail a letter, but he didn't know where the post office was located. So he walked out onto the, wa- the sidewalk in front of his hotel and saw a small child, a small boy standing there. And Billy Graham asked this small boy, do you know where the post office is? And the small boy replied, yes, and he pointed directions. And so Billy Graham thanked him, and as he was concluding his conversation, Billy Graham leaned down to the little boy and he said this, he said, if you will come to Central Baptist Church tonight, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And the little boy replied, no thanks, you don't even know how to get to the post office. (laughs) I recently discovered uh, some research that shows that Uh, fewer than one in five, I want you to hear that again, fewer than one in five of those of us who call ourselves born-again Christians have any measurable goals for spiritual growth. I want that to sink in because that research has rocked my world. Less than one in five have any measurable spiritual growth goals. So, The dilemma is not that Christians don't want to grow spiritually. It's not that they're not willing to pay the price. But it is that for most of us, we have such a limited and narrow understanding of what spiritual growth really means that we don't even know how to get there. Then what makes it worse is in the same research, uh, 95% of those that were uh, surveyed that our Christians say that their church encourages spiritual growth But less than half of them say that one or two of the highest priorities of their church is actually spiritual growth. Only one out of five said that their church has some means of evaluating the spiritual maturity of the congregation. It's ironic to me that uh, out of this research it shows us that we put... Uh, we, we want to grow spiritually, but we don't know how. And then when we talk about our local churches, we say about our local churches, not only is it not a top priority, they don't even have any measurable way to, to gauge how we're doing spiritually. Ironic to me that we measure all the growth in every other area of our life. I don't know about you, but, but uh, we, I wish we'd have had this when my boys were little, but we did it on the inside of a, bo- a, a door frame. The only problem with it was is now we moved. And I didn't feel like tearing out the door frame, but we tracked their physical growth. We wanted to know that from the ages of five to seven, they had grown this much because growth is part of life. We're supposed to grow. We, grow, we measure every area of our life, it seems, our physical growth, our financial growth. I want to know how my stocks are doing. Is my retirement fund growing? Is my bank account increasing? I want to measure that. I want to know, am I growing in knowledge? Am I getting smarter? Am I smarter now than I was when I was 16 years old? We measure everything except spiritual growth. We track it. We gauge it. 
We discern. And, and not only that, we won't settle for a plateau in any of those areas. If my, my boys at five years old had quit growing, I, newsflash, we would have made a beeline to the doctor to find out what's wrong with them. Why are they not growing? If my finances weren't growing, I'd be talking to somebody going, what's going on? I invested, but I'm not seeing any return on my investment. I want to know what's happening. I'm not satisfied in pl- plateauing in those areas. I want to know, am I increasing in my knowledge? And if I'm not, I'm going to make a plan so that I can increase in my knowledge so so that I don't plateau there. And yet it seems like that in our spiritual life we have accepted mediocrity in our spiritual life and we act like we've arrived at the intended destination. We gauge it everywhere except in spiritual areas. And so then what happens is this. Every week, at least at this church, every week you are encouraged to witness and to testify and to tell somebody about how to get in relationship with Jesus. But is it, is it any wonder that those that we're encouraged and implored and, and prodded to witness to don't want our directions when we give them to them simply because they examine our lives and recognize we don't even know where we're going. This is like the little boy says, no thanks, I don't want to know how to get to your heaven because you don't know how to get to my post office. And we're uh, engaged every week with people at work and at school and in our community and we're talking to them about things like rescue and deliver and and freedom and, and all this stuff, joy and happiness. But they look at us and they see people that don't even know how to get or maintain where we're talking about asking them to go. Uh, a couple months ago, um, I was in deep prayer about this series. I'm, I'm, uh, I uh, uh, feel like this series, I, I told Tori, uh, the problem with this series is I think I'm feeling something maybe you haven't felt yet. I, I, I'm carrying this thing. I've been carrying it for months now, and I recognize that this is a very crucial moment for us as a congregation as we gather together in this thing we call passion. It is crucial for us to get a grip on this. And so a couple of months ago, I was in the privacy of my study, and I was writing, and I felt like the Lord gave me a word, and I'm going to read this to you. I, I wished I could sugarcoat it more than I'm going to read it. This is the way the Lord gave it to me. I don't think the Lord gave it to me as an indictment. Where I'm wagging a finger saying this, this, this. I think the way the Lord gave it to me is more of an evaluation. As, as, I, as I have maneuvered through our relationships and watched you uh, deal with one another and how you deal with different situations and how we go through life, this is what I felt like the Lord said about us. You can, you can take it with a grain of salt and say maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. So let me just read it to you the way I wrote it. I'm concerned that many of us have become so comfortable in our spiritual immaturity that we are totally unintentional about growing. Like a baby, we expect to be served at no cost or with minimal effort of our own, even though Scripture clearly states that we are supposed to be on a lifelong pilgrimage from glory to glory and we're to progress from milk to meat, from shallow to deep. We seem to gain entrance and then immediately settle into spiritual vacation or in the most severe cases, full-fledged retirement. So we become not only surrounded by, but one of the folks who settle for band-aids rather than battling for healing, good days rather than abundant life, and salvation with no movement towards sanctification. The result is we either become critical or cynical about those who are pushing deeper, or we attempt to push deeper but do so as milk-drunk Christians who run from prophet to prophet but never from page to page. We... We, we have prayer warriors on speed dial, but no depth in our own personal prayer life. We're informed, but we're not transformed. 
were educated with principles but no evidence of power, were six foot tall but were only six inches wide, it's time to grow up. There is an epidemic of immaturity in the body of Christ. It is apparent when people want or demand position with no expectation or submission to accountability or discipline. It is apparent when feelings not only override but are trusted more than faith. And since mustard seed faith was applauded as powerful, we slip into apathy when we proudly exhibit minuscule faith as if that's all or ever will be required. It is apparent when emotions are allowed to drive and determine every choice and decision in life. We look more like our culture than we look like our Christ. When we, when we post, when we applaud, when we participate in things that stand in direct conf- conflict with the very standards of the Savior we claim to serve, then it is easy to say it is time to grow up. Paul's words in the church of Corinthians still ring true today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk. Not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Or perhaps maybe a more accurate uh, translation is this one. But right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ, capable of nothing much more than nursing at the breast. Well, then I'll nurse you since you don't seem capable of anything more. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, are you really that much different than a babe at the breast, content only when everything's going your way? It's time to grow up. There's an instance, uh, an account in Jesus' life that we read that I don't think we necessarily apply uh, on a normal basis when it comes to the spiritual growth that I'm talking about, spiritual maturity. But I want to read it to you, and I think I can make a case that he's trying to teach us a lesson about the necessity of growth. It's found in Mark chapter 11. It's verse 12 and 14. It says, On the next day when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Uh, It's an interesting account because basically what takes place is Jesus is hungry and at a distance he sees a fig tree. And recognizing that fig trees are supposed to produce figs, He approaches the fig tree that was at a distance. He gets closer and he recognizes that there's no fruit on the tree that's supposed to bear fruit. And so uh, almost it seems like a tantrum. Jesus gets so angry that he curses the tree. And then you go back and read later on when the disciples come back past the tree at a later date. Lo and behold, it's withered. It's dried up. I think what takes place is that Jesus sees the fig fig tree in full bloom, but when he gets closer to it and he needs it to sustain him, the tree didn't live up to its potential or its label. In fact, I would say to you that this fig tree was, in practical terms, was uh, practicing false advertisement. It looked like a fig tree. It was supposed to produce figs. But it didn't do it. It couldn't sustain him. And so Jesus curses its lack of fruit or growth. I I think it was probably in the company of other fig trees. I think it looked like a fig tree. 
I think it was using the same amount of resources as all the other fig trees were using around that particular fig tree. And Jesus, in a moment of anger, because it was practicing false advertisement, curses its lack of growth. How many of us hang out with Christians, look like other Christians, consume the same resources the other Christians consume, but we, when we are approached for sustenance, we cannot live up to our label, which is Christians, little Christs. And so we're practicing false advertisement. Let me show you how to get to the better things in life. Let me show you how to get peace that passes all understanding. Let me show you joy, the strength of joy. Let me show you salvation. Let me show you rescue. And yet, we don't even have it ourselves. And so we practice false advertisement. And when people come to us for sustenance, we can't come through. So... My challenge to you, I hope, and what I hope you hear, is in my evaluation of where we are for, the, for, for most of us. And after reading the account in Jesus' life, I hope that out of my evaluation in that account, what is taking place inside of you is something's turning over in you. And you go, oh, I don't like the way this feels, and I don't like the way this sounds. Even though I think he may be right, I don't like that when I evaluate that in my own life. And so then what happens is we come to this place and something deep inside of us, we go, I want to change. Come on. Okay, here's the problem. The problem is, is we do not need to be reformed. We need to be transformed. You say, well, there's no big difference. There is a difference. Let me try to help you. Reformation usually comes from an outside voice. Reformation normally comes from an outside voice. Somebody like me with a microphone that, that kind of gouges you just enough to get you to do something different. The only problem is, is I'm not with you 24 hours a day. Uh, the, the second thing about a, a reformation is this, is it begins normally uh, with a, a series of actions. And I'll come back to that. And then here's the other thing about a reformation. We expect immediate results. If I change this, then like 20 seconds later, I'm going to see the results that I need to see. Boy, if that's not the curse of the American church, I don't know what is. is we want, we want, we've got microwave mentality. We want to do something right now. Give me a recipe. Come on, Steve. I know you're going to do that. By the end of this message, certainly you're going to give me a recipe that I can do this, 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 and this, and it'll change everything overnight. What I want to say to you is this, is that we want to change, so this is what we do. Please bear with me. Please, uh, please hear the heart of your pastor. This is what we do. Especially at the first of the year. In fact, I would venture to guess that this is taking place in churches all across America this morning at the first of the year. Here it is. This is what we do. We begin to talk, of things, uh, we begin to talk about things like Bible reading. If you'll just read your Bible more. If you, okay, and if that doesn't do it, what we really need you to do is we need you to start praying and fasting. I need you to attend more. Here's the problem. We think those things are change. I wasn't reading, now I am. I wasn't praying, now I'm praying. I wasn't skipping Starbucks, now I am. I only came one Sunday a month, now I come two. And we, the, the, the dilemma is this, those are not changes. Those are means to create change. Okay, uh, you're going to have to stay with me because I, I got lots of stuff and a short amount of time to get there to set this up. 
You need to understand that what we begin to do is when we actually begin to read the Bible, spend time in prayer, fast meals, i got to ask you a question. When we do those things, what kind of changes are we trying to produce? Because we think the means to growth are the growth. There's a problem there, and that's why we struggle. Is, and here's the problem, is if we don't have a target in mind, it means that the means to growth becomes traps of legalism and don't lead to growth, but what they lead to is, is bondage or pride. I read my, man, I've got the certificate. I read my Bible all the way through this year. I prayed more this year than I've ever prayed in my life. I, and we think because we've done those things that we've actually grown. Just check off the list. But how many of us check off the list, but on Monday, we're still struggling with the same temptation we were struggling with before we started reading our Bible? What a, how many of us pray more now than we did? Or we, It's the first year. I'm going to make a New, Year, New Year's resolution. I'm going to start every morning with 15 minutes of prayer. And we pray 15 more minutes than we prayed last year. But on Wednesday, we're still struggling with the same appetites that destroyed us before. And we succumb to those appetites even though we're praying more than we were praying. What happens is this, is we have a form of godliness, but no power to live. How many people do you know that read their Bible faithfully, seem to have a consistent prayer life, and never miss a Sunday, but are still spiritually immature, and their faith never seems to impact their decisions, their choices, their texts, their Facebook posts, their relationships, their, their drink decisions, their language decisions. How many of us know people that are constantly involving themselves in spiritual checklists but aren't growing to the point that it produces any change? See, what we need is this. We need transformation. There's a difference. Transformation is a miracle. But it's not magic. Transformation doesn't happen fast or instantaneously. It is a process. Transformation is not easy and it is definitely not fun to watch. In fact, I would submit to you that transformation is incredibly messy. In fact, I want to say to you this morning that spiritual transformation takes place in and amongst broken, bankrupt people who recognize that I've got to have a significant change that checking boxes will never accomplish and I can read until I can't read anymore and I can pray until I can't pray anymore and I can be faithful every week but nothing changed. I want change. I want to be transformed. Spiritual transformation and ultimately maturity is only obtained, listen to me very carefully, through fundamental shifts in how we think and how we believe. That's the only way that genuine transformation takes place. And although Bible reading and prayer and worship certainly move us closer, they do not ensure that we will allow those fundamental shifts to take place. 
Because if those things would produce transformation, newsflash, the Pharisees would have had the corner on the market of spiritual maturity. But instead, they wind up killing the very Savior they were praying for God to send. So, this is where I'm at this morning. I don't want some window dressing of looking like a spiritually mature Christian from a distance, but resist closer review. So because of up close, I still look more like culture than Christ. I don't want to be unable to point people in the right direction because I have no direction that I'm following. So if we measure everything else, then I am challenging you. I'm, I'm literally throwing down the gauntlet to you this morning as your pastor. I am challenging you all to join me in this process of establishing a scorecard, if you will. So we can track and determine and evaluate whether or not we're actually growing spiritually. I need you to tell you some things before we go any further. I am looking not for boxes to check. I am looking for fundamental changes in our mentality and our way of thinking that will impact our actions. If it doesn't do that, then it's nothing more than reformation. Let me ask you this. If we're actually growing, maturing, developing, what shifts would take place fundamentally in our lives. I'm going to ask that again. If we were allowing transformation to take place, what fundamental shifts would take place in our lives that would impact everything else? Okay. So I believe I have at least seven. And I'm going to share those with you over the course of the next seven weeks. I've got my pastor friends that are starting six-foot baby with me this morning are railing on me saying, you can't preach a series for eight weeks. We're going to. They're going to go to something else. That's fine. But we got to stop here. Because it's not enough to just grow out. We got to grow down. We got to establish some things. So I think I've got seven tectonic shifts. What does that mean? It's below the surface. You don't always see them, but they're significant. And we're gonna, I'm going to challenge you to allow Jesus to work out in our lives these seven shifts. This isn't going to happen in one moment. Pastor Andrew and I have a huge task ahead of us. We have seven one-hour services to try to communicate with you Shifts that can never be worked out in one hour services. But we're going to draw attention to them with hopes that what's going to take place is that you're going to, 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 to dig into those and let Jesus work those things out in your life over not just one brief encounter on Sunday morning, but as a result of consistent and constant exercise day after day after day. See, if we don't do that, this is what happens. All, everything else I would tell you at the first of the year is, is, is this, in essence. It's shooting an arrow, and then I run ahead of it and draw a target wherever it lands. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is us 
digging down deep enough on these seven concepts, mentality switches, belief systems, changing them, allowing transformation to take place in us so that instead we draw the target and then we step back and we do our best to shoot the arrow and hit it. And we can measure how close we are. Okay, so, so before I give you a moment to decide if you're willing to press past reformation and join your pastor on what will be a painful, messy journey. It will also be the most rewarding journey you've ever taken, but it will be messy and it will be painful. Before I ask you whether or not you're willing to move towards that kind of transformation, I need to kind of tell you a couple things. The first thing I want to tell you is that change is inevitable. You may be sitting here going, well, I kind of like how I am right now, man. If you knew where I came from, you, you just don't even understand, Steve. I've come so far. Okay. You say, well, you don't even, not only do you not know how far I've come, you don't know how hard it was to get here. And I'm kind of tired. So I've already made up my mind that 2020 is like chill. I'm just going to take it easy for the next 12 months. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to relax. I kind of like what I've done enough work. I'm satisfied where I am. I'm content. You don't know how old I am, how long I've been in this thing. You just don't understand. And I'm okay where I am. Can I just tell you that change will still come? You don't have to participate. You don't, have to, you don't even have to evaluate. You may think you've arrived. I'm beyond. I, man, I've been saved for 68 years and I glow at night. I'm so holy. I don't need to evaluate. I don't need to participate. Can I tell you that change will still come? It's inevitable. You and I will either, by the end of this year, you, 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 will, you and I will either be more like Christ or less like Christ. There's no middle ground. By the end of this year, you and I and the expression that we call passion will either be more powerful or less powerful than we were at the beginning of the year. We will either be more faithful or less faithful. We will be either more generous or less generous. We will, there, there is no middle ground. In fact, can I tell you that whether you, whether you choose to participate or not, can I tell you that in 2020 there are only two options? Growth or cursed. That's it. You will either grow or Jesus will come to you for fruit and not find any and go, cursed. That's it. There's no middle ground. Nobody gets to sit out on the sidelines and go, well, I didn't change it all this year. Change is inevitable. Yes. You will change. I will change. We will change. We can either embrace the discipline required to be a disciple and take up our cross and deny ourselves, or we can travel the path of least resistance and fool ourselves in, in, in others and hang out with all the other fig trees and embrace the fig tree clothing and the fig tree jargon and try to fool people and act like we're really figgy. But all the while knowing deep inside that we're less like Christ than we were when the year started. Change is inevitable. The second thing I want to say to you this morning is this, is that the kind of change that we make is a choice. 
This may mean nothing to you, but this stat means a lot to me because I can see this in my own life. I discovered that after, 90, after one year, 90% of heart bypass surgery patients report that they have not changed their lifestyle at all. Well, they do for a few months because we're scared. But then we don't actually change. We quit eating donuts. I'm playing with somebody this morning. And, and then we eat them. We work out an hour, and now we don't work out at all. In other words, like most of us, they want to be different, but they don't want to change. So in order for the shifts that we're going to talk about to take place, listen to me, we will be required to make a daily and conscious decision to grow. Because although change is inevitable, the kind of change is a choice. I believe uh, the shifts that we're going to talk about over the course of the next seven weeks actually began to take place in your life when you met Jesus the first time. The only dilemma is this, is that the shifts that we're going to talk about are not normally applauded. They're not flashy. They don't draw attention. They're not easy. And so what takes place is we meet Jesus, these shifts begin, but because they're not flashy, they don't draw attention, nobody applauds them, and they're difficult, we shift our focus to something else. And it is my contention that the shifts we will talk about are the shifts that will have the longest and deepest impacts on our walk and our witness, but we, may, we must make a choice to develop in them. So what does that mean? How do we do that as a body? That means that we have to have ongoing conversations in the lobby, in the parking lot, on Facebook, on the phone, to help each other continuously evaluate whether or not we're actually growing in the areas that we say we want to grow. That means that uh, uh, we, we will have to hold one another accountable. Because I want you to understand, we don't naturally move towards these shifts. In fact, what takes place is we naturally drift away from them because they're hard. And so we resist. It means that the leaders in this church, in this thing we call a family, a body, are going to be required to call attention to the change or the lack of change they see in us. The only problem with that is that we're American Christians and nobody can tell us what to do. In fact, when we try to hold somebody accountable, we quit. Don't look at me like that. We've had four people quit in the last two months simply because we tried to hold them accountable. Discipline. I don't know where we lost the idea that disciple, the, the, the root word is discipline. Nobody can tell me what to do. And they run for the hills, never to darken the doors again. Go to another church. And do the same thing. Because they haven't been transformed. So it's going to require the leaders, not just Steve, the leaders in this congregation to stand up and to hold one another accountable when we see growth or when we don't see growth. And then we're going to have to accept their evaluation so that we can grow. Well, I don't like them. Tough. Grow up. They rub me the wrong way. Good. It will help you grow. Okay, that was my rant.
It means that you cannot, I'm going to give you a, a target card because I'm not willing to just shoot an arrow and then go draw a target. We're going to draw a target. These, this is the target we're trying to hit. I'm going to hand this card to you here in a few moments. Not yet, because I know all you type A'ers like me will be fighting to fill in the blanks on the back. I don't want you to do that. This is what I want you to do. It means that you cannot just take this target card and look at it one time a week on Sunday morning. Well, I filled in the blanks. Now what? You are going to have to keep this wherever you go the most. For some of you, that's your car. For some of you, that's the refrigerator. For some of you, that's the mirror. For some of you, that's the bathroom. For some of you, I don't know, some of you ought to ask the person at the drive-thru to, to hold this for you because you go through every day. They know you by name. You don't even have to order. They get it ready 20 minutes before you get there. Wherever you go the most, your desk... And look at it. And let it challenge you. Because we're on a path to daily target these seven shifts in our lives this year. Because these seven shifts reveal that we're actually becoming more like Christ than we were. So, I'm going to tell you what the seven shifts are. Everybody put your pens down. Put them down. I'm serious. If you, hey, we might as well start holding one another accountable right now. Make somebody mad to you right now. Tell them to put their pen down. Go ahead, tell them. And the reason is I don't want you to write them down today because what we want you to do is we want you to write one a week. We're only going to give you, this is the only time you'll get the complete list until the last Sunday. On purpose. Because if I give you the entire list, first of all, it's going to jack you up. Because it's jacked me up bad. You can't handle it. And if I give you the whole list now and you write it all down, then you will move towards reformation rather than transformation because you'll think it's a checklist. And if I just get through these seven things once, then oh, all of a sudden, boom, I'm supposed to change. And it won't work. We're going to take one a week. And focus on it. Will one week do it? No. This is going to take us all year to dig through this outside of Sunday morning. We're going to take one week and we're going to dig on that thing. And I just want to warn you, Sundays are probably not going to be as fun as they normally are. Because this is rough stuff. This is, this is deep stuff. So you can't just check this off like you read and you attended and you prayed. We got to dig. Here they are really quickly. Do not write these down. If I see, if I see, uh, good, good job, John. Put, put, everybody put your hands up. Let me see those hands. Hand check. We used to do that at camp when we were with, with, with girls. You had to do a hand check. All right. Dishonest. Here they are. Seven Teutonic fundamental shifts this year. We are going to move from me to you. What does that mean? Come back next week. We got to move from slave to son. We have to move from seen to unseen. We have to move from consumer to steward. We must make this shift from ask to listen. We have got to make a shift from sheep to shepherd. And finally, we must move from me 
to we. Ushers, will you hand out the cards quickly? Hand them out quick. There's a space on here that only, you only get to fill out one. If I, 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 if I, if I, we walk out of this place and I see your card filled out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip on you. Uh, but there is something I want you to fill out. Right here at the top, there's a blank, and it says this. My target is spiritual maturity. In order to grow, I, and there's a spot for your name, will shift my aim from. I'm going to ask you here in a moment after we pray to put your name on that blank as a contract that you're willing to join. Well, I don't want to change. You're going to change. It's your decision whether you change in the right way. This is a contract between you and God and us. I'm not taking these cards up. You get to keep these cards. If you're willing to join me, not for reformation, but for transformation, then after we pray, I want you to put your name on that card. I want you to put that card in a place that you can bring back next week so that together, corporately, we can begin to fill out those blanks and we're going to take a few moments each week and we're going to hone down on what these shifts actually mean in our lives. Father, I pray this morning that you will do what I have been unable to do. I pray that you would stir your people. I pray that if we are trapped in mediocrity, if we've slid into spiritual retirement, I pray that if we look more like our culture than we look like you, I pray that if we think we're figgy but we're not, I pray that if, if we are practicing false advertisement, I pray that if we are trying to point people in a direction that we don't even know how to go ourselves I pray in this moment you would challenge us, challenge us challenge us to, to shake off apathy, shake off the path of least resistance shake off the attempt to just slide through this thing called spiritual life without growing and changing and being transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the way we think, by how we believe and I pray that you'd help us. And God, I know that in, in this congregation, there are going to be folks that are going to feel the pain of this. And I know there are going to be moments that this is going to be messy. And there's going to be some, some rubbing. And there's going to be some uh, chiseling. And there's going to be some hammering. And it's going, to, it's going to hurt a little bit. But I pray that the end result would be that by the end of this series, not after seven weeks, but rather through the course of this year, the entire year and the year to come and the year after that, we would be able to point back to this moment to where fundamental shifts took place in our life that caused us to transform into the image of your son Jesus. I pray that you'd help us with this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.